Welcome to iScan in Conversation, where we talk about cybersecurity, military defense, crisis communications, and much more with industry experts from around the globe. Stay tuned. Problems arise, however, when you pit a finite player versus an infinite player. It's the finite player who then gets caught in quagmire. This happens in business all the time. The game of business is an infinite game. The concept of business has existed longer than every single company that exists right now. And it'll exist long after all the companies that exist right now go away. The funny thing about business is the number of companies that are playing finite. They're playing to win. They're playing to be the best. They're playing to beat the quarter or the year. And they're always frustrated by that company that has an amazing vision, a long-term vision that seems to drive them crazy. And over the long term, that player will always win, and the other player will run out of resources or the will, and they'll either go out of business or be bought or sold or merged or acquired or whatever it is. This is also what happened to the United States in Vietnam. The United States was fighting to win. The Viet Cong were fighting for their lives. They would fight forever if necessary. This is also what happened when the Soviet Union was in Afghanistan. The Soviets were fighting to beat the Mujahideen, and the Mujahideen were fighting to survive, fighting for their very, very lives. That was Simon Sinek, a British-American author and inspirational speaker. He is the author of five books, including Start With Why and The Infinite Games from 2019. He was speaking at a 2015 TED Talk on what game theory teaches us about war. Stephanie, it gives us some fascinating insight on how business and government think. Any thoughts? Uh, thank you, Victoria. Uh, yes, I guess for me, you know, off the top of my head, Simon's explanation um, of companies and governments maintaining a similar thinking in the midst of radical changing environment rings really true. Um, I guess while game theory is a specific practice, the bigger question here is what can be done? And I believe this iScan podcast will address this and provide some, some answers to it. That being said, welcome to iScanning Conversation. I'm Victoria Powell and I'm here today talking about wargaming use in strategic communications with iScan Group's senior advisors, Stephanie David, who has a background in strategic communications, and senior advisor Tate Nurkin, who focuses specifically on military defense strategy in the Indo-Pacific. Stephanie and Tate, Thank you both so much for taking the time to join me today. As we approach our subject, it's interesting that both of you come to this topic from different areas of focus. Tate, you come to us with a long history of providing strategic thought to global militaries, defense industries, and corporates throughout the globe. Stephanie, you have been a practitioner of strategic communications to the finance, insurance, and broadcasting industries for years. Stephanie, let's start with you. Why is wargaming important for executives and for particular strategic marketing and crisis communications? Victoria, first of all, I feel strongly that wargaming exercises should not be dismissed or ignored. I've seen it happen far too often in my, in my career. Business and communication are converging at an incredible rate, I guess not helped by the overload of information we find ourselves inundated by. But in saying that, it's become imperative for leaders, executives to understand how their strategies and plans hold up against the rigor of a full range of known 
in unknown situations. For me, very often we find ourselves, at least this is what I've seen over the, the course of my career, we find ourselves running from fire drill to fire drill. And while executives and leaders would like to think that relying on skill or experience will eliminate or remove them from these tough situations, that's not often the case. And I've seen, again, as I said, you know, over the years that um, you can't always rely on skills. You're going to have to be prepared. Regular, constant re-examination and reassessment of scenarios and plans is absolutely vital in a world where things are changing with such speed. Um, I had a mentor that drilled into me as a young executive that chance favors the prepared mind. I think that's a phrase that many of us have come across um, from time to time. And, and I think that's become even more uh, important, especially when successful action needs to be taken. That's a really good saying, and I couldn't agree more. Tate, moving to you, what is the history of wargaming as a strategic tool? Yeah, thanks, Victoria. Um, it's it's a gr great to be part of another iScan um, podcast. Uh, you know, for me, it's a great question on the history of wargaming. I I think the the methodology really emerged out of um, the military domain, military and security domain, as as the name might imply, and and really is most commonly associated with you know, militaries that are seeking to understand how certain scenarios might play out either strategically or operationally, sometimes even tactically. So, you know, you, you test plans. Um, if you think that a conflict is going to happen or might happen, you would develop a scenario about that um, conflict and you would uh, bring together uh, experts and uh, military personnel and you'd play it out and you'd actually see how it might unfold with real people making real decisions in, in real time. Um, and, th and that's kind of how Wargaming got started, was to test plans and understand the implications of decision-making in military environments. Again, it didn't always have to be a conflict scenario. It could be kind of more of a strategic scenario where you're trying to deter an adversary or avoid conflict or something to that effect. But, but I think to Stephanie's e excellent point is that Wargaming is just one methodology of a, of a set of tools that are usually called alternative analysis or alternative futures analysis that help decision makers challenge their assumptions, understand kind of the unknown or uncertain environments, and, and just, just sort of think differently about the challenges that they face so they don't fall into the same traps uh, that they've fallen into or the past or, or don't get surprised by big discontinuities or disruptions. And what are your thoughts, Stephanie, on this? Are you seeing these types of exercises becoming more common in terms of crisis communication strategy in particular? Absolutely. I think, you know, a lot of times um, these types of situations are born out of uh, an overload of information that, that's out there. And we tend to try to uh, address these and we sometimes act or overreact or don't react. But there is a great deal of information out there. And I think it's going to be important for us to, to work through that and decide which you know, pieces of action of, or, or information needs to be acted upon. Now, I guess I should also sort of preface that by saying that information overload is not new. We have been dealing with managing the massive uh, volume and influence of information, news, data for years now, and it's not going to go away anytime soon. I think that's for, that's for certain. It'll probably just only increase with uh, volume and velocity, but I feel that a lot of the breakdown happens when executives, companies, and governments, and I'm sure Tate, you'll be able to talk more to that point, don't come to terms with um, overload realization and don't have absolutely clear programs or tools in place to effectively handle that decision-making process in the wake of conflict or issues, um, as you mentioned. But to get back to that question, yes, 
companies are starting to find the value of these types of wargaming exercises. Um, having said that, I don't think it's at the level that it needs to be, especially when you consider the, the level of change driven by innovation and the proliferation of information, whether real or, or not, which we find on the internet or social media platforms that seem to be affecting traditional geopolitical and, uh, and business practices. Um, when I was dealing with a specific business issue some years ago, we had a group of very smart, talented executives working the issue. And as, but you know, as soon as the crisis was over, like all busy executives, we didn't come back to it. Now, you know, there's a danger with not, um, you know, reevaluating, re reassessing what you could have done. You know, a postmortem of sorts. Um, and I can't stress that enough. The need for for dedicated, you know, exercises, you know, such as wargaming, is 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 absolutely necessary. Where you do that thorough assessment, you do that deep dive. Um, you look at the, the past, the existing and the, the future, you know, unknown issues, that's all going to help you prepare for those scenarios when they come around again. And Tate, would you be able to shed some light on these scenarios and, and what are some of the specific components of wargaming in particular? Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I, again, wargaming is, a, is really a pretty flexible term and methodology, and it means a lot of things to a lot of different people in different contexts. Uh, so that's kind of a, a, a good way to start the conversation about what the components of wargaming are, because they're going to vary depending on what the objectives of the exercise are, right? So that's where you start. You start at the end and say, what we want to do is test this assumption. What we want to do is understand the consequences of this decision. We want to understand how we would react in this crisis environment. And then you work backwards from there to, to as far as designing the exercise. But uh, with that in mind, that all war games will have some degree of difference in terms of their design and their components. There are some kind of consistencies across uh, most, if not all, successful games. And I would say that the first thing is the scenario itself. It, it's so important to understand that war games are designed to get us out of our current analytical filters and our day jobs and our current environment. So it's really important to create a, a plausible crisis scenario or just scenario, however, whatever, again, the, the objective of the exercise is, but that it's different than the world you see today in some important fashion. And uh, that, that means that people can't just say what they've said in the meeting they had the day before. They have to think about this new world and, uh, and come and embrace that new environment in, in order to participate. War games typically also involve teams of participants. So you group individuals into teams and those teams role play uh, an actor. So it could be, you can role play a, a company, you can role play a nation, you can role play uh, a non-state actor or, or a competitor, uh, but you have different teams. Uh, uh, you separate the participants into different teams. And this encourages interaction and encourages some of the tension that comes when you have more than one person uh, thinking about a problem and talking about a problem. So, uh, so that, that's always very helpful. And again, the, the nature of the teams depend on the objective, but typically you'll have a blue team, which will represent the good guys, your, your stakeholders. Um, sometimes you'll have a red team, which will be your competitors or adversaries. Uh, you will always have a white team, which is the control team, which is another important aspect of wargaming, is having uh, uh, facilitators and people to run the game who can sort of adjudicate how the game proceeds and make sure that it achieves its objectives and that any decisions that are made um, are judged and incorporated into the into the scenario that keeps evolving as the game goes on. So I, I would say that those are three of the big ones. The, one of the other big ones I would say is just 
the sense that everyone is allowed to to think creatively. So uh, the game design and the facilitators and the control team, um, which usually involves both designers and um, stakeholders from the sponsoring organization, um, they have to make sure to let people know that, hey, look, you're allowed to say things that we might not agree with, right? You're allowed to say to someone who is a colleague or maybe even a, a supervisor, hey, I, I appreciate that that's, that's the way we look at it now, but maybe we should think about it in this context, we, in this exercise, we should think about something else. So I think creating a safe environment for collaboration and for creative thinking is another really important component uh, to a successful war game. If you don't have that, if, if, if in other words, if, if you just say, we're going to run this scenario exercise, we're going to bring all of these people together, we're going to expend all the time and resources to put on this game, and then you don't encourage, you don't create an environment in which people are encouraged to actually challenge the assumptions or think about things that might not be already thought about, then I think it's a huge waste of time, to be honest with you, because all you're going to do is validate your existing assumptions and uh, you didn't need to spend all that money to, to do that. So really, as, as Stephanie pointed out, the point here is, is, to, is to get people thinking differently about these uncertainties that are out there. That's also sort of something that clients should take away of, of what to expect. Steph, what are your thoughts on some of these takeaways that, that clients should be aware of when entering into wargaming? Well, first off, just to, to hop off what, uh, what Tate was saying, I think it is incredibly uh, essential to have that safe environment where you know these clients can um, think creatively and and again you know where they're not going to be judged for what they're saying or doing and I think that's exactly the kind of, of war gaming that um, you know iScan has been looked at to to provide and deliver but you know when it comes to um, you know some of the takeaways I think there's several for me but the the couple that stand out um, I think firstly they will become situationally aware of their environments. And I believe they'll have a better grip on the known and the unknown issues, the, uh, you know, the potential scenarios. And you know, from this, the series of actions that they need to take in order to address these. Secondly, I think there's, there's an alignment that probably will be found among all the executives as they come together to work on these issues together. And again, I cannot agree more with, with what Tate said. Um, when you bring all these individuals together and they understand this to be um, a safe environment. I think, you know, from what we've seen, these types of alignments are only going to uh, help. You know, what I've noted in the past is when these executives have come together uh, in, in, you know, situations I've dealt with before, they only come together in moments of, of crisis. And, and that's, you know, that, that's sometimes a little too late, uh, you know, to sort of bring together the very best out of everyone in, able, in, in being able to deal with those situations. So I think, you know, by going through a wargaming exercise, you're, you're getting ahead of the situation. You are you're simulating what will or could happen and, and needs to happen as far as your actions or reactions are, are concerned. And this is only going to prove valuable. I think thirdly, um, the confidence that comes from, from addressing situations um, with executives and your team and understanding the approach is key. Because even if some things are left unsolved at that point when the wargaming exercise is, is taking place, I think you know, ultimately um, the team's confidence level to be able to deal with situations you know, when they crop up, if they, if they crop up, will often increase. Tate, do you have anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I mean, much, much like uh, all aspects of this conversation so far, it's really just to amplify Stephanie's points and, and, and say that the, the world is, seems to be moving quicker. 
whether it's in the military context or in the business world, events are unfolding faster, it, it feels like. Uh, and part of that is enabled by, you know, the, just the speed of information and the digitization of our, our lives, essentially. Um, so, so events are unfolding faster. So your ability to deal with disruptions as a company or as a government, um, you need to be prepared for these disruptions. You need to have thought about them before they happen in order to mitigate the effects of them or, or avoid them altogether, which is the optimal um, outcome. So, so going through this process, and again, even if the scenario isn't the exact one that you'll end up facing, having thought through how you'll deal with problems like that is really, really important. And, um, and it allows you to develop hedging strategies. So when the crisis begins to unfold, you'll know what to do. And, and probably even more important than the hedging strategies, as important as those are, I think is, is indicators, right? You can start in signposts that a, that a challenge is, is starting to come, uh, come down the pike and, you're, and you can now begin to implement the hedging strategy that you've developed through wargaming or through its very close cousin scenario planning. But you, you, you can begin to develop indicators that the situation is changing and you can develop a strategy that will help you deal with that situation in the best possible way. And I think that that is a fast moving, uncertain environment that I think is, as we've seen in the last year, vulnerable to pretty big disruptions. And we are starting to see a lot more organizations engaging in wargaming, as you both said. And, and Steph, are you able to identify any visible results of that? Well, let me start first with the negative uh, sort of outcome for companies that don't engage in wargaming. And I think we've, um, you know, we, we all know that a brand has a value and particularly with, with listed companies that has a monetary value as well. So, you know, by, by not engaging in, in properly preparing for these types of situations, you, you run the risk of, um, of hurting the value of that brand and it's, you know, it's reputation and, and, and everything else with it. So I think, you know, it, it's a pretty, um, you know, straightforward, you know, way of looking at it, you know, it's good that there are companies starting to do this more, as I mentioned earlier on in the, in the discussion, there aren't enough organizations doing this, um, and hopefully that will change, but I think there, there's only an upside to being prepared, and, you know, I go back to the, the quote I said earlier, you know, it's, uh, it's all about making sure you are um, absolutely prepared for, for, you know, what comes before it hits you. What do you expect to see in the next couple of years? I see the um, proliferation of um, disinformation in the commercial world, and that could dramatically affect businesses, uh, workflow, uh, the location in which they do business. I strongly believe that companies need to be ready, and I, you know, I, I think you know, Tate and I have stressed this um, uh, a few times during this session already that you know there are tools and there are plans to understand these issues and conflicts, and um, and companies need to be better prepared to engage with these. I think that's exactly right. And, and a couple of things that I see that would lend uh, a couple of trends that I see that sort of lend themselves to the um, value of wargaming is and, and scenario planning and other uh, similar methodologies is increase in uncertainty, increase in the pace in which things are taking place. And, and also, I think, in some cases, increase in sort of competitive dynamics, um, uh, both geopolitically and, and commercially. And, and again, the, these methodologies are tailored to, to help organizations rather than plan to a specific forecast, which is highly unlikely to become, come true, but to, 
to build that uncertainty into their planning process and give them flexibility and allow them to better compete um, again in whatever environment they're in and, and to get ahead of these challenges. So I see the environment uh, in which companies and governments are in continuing down this path and, and changing in ways that make wargaming and scenario planning more relevant. That seems like a really important point as well. And and are there any parting thoughts, Steph, that you would have, especially relating to what Tate just said? I think it's, um, you know, it's good to see that, that wargaming as an exercise is, uh, is no longer just confined to the sort of uh, military intelligence sort of setting. It's now obviously starting to seep into the commercial setting. And I think, you know, it's, it, it's, it's necessary to start thinking about things in that way. Um, one thing is guaranteed. I think, you know, whether we want, you know, to accept it or not, crisis and issues will happen. They will continue to happen. Um, you know, I think as, as, as Tate mentioned as well, I think due to the, the, spree, the speed of globalization and the proliferation of information, it's, it's inevitable that, uh, you know, we're gonna need to be looking at um, you know, either horizon scanning and just planning ahead for, for these types of uh, situations to arise. So you know, I, you know, I just have to say that companies do need to take a moment of pause. Uh, they need to prioritize the information that's, that's you know, being, um, that's out there, that's also being you know, levied at them. Uh, they need to plan and execute. Uh, and you know, I strongly believe that wargaming exercises um, you know, led by experts you know, such as Tate um, you know, and delivered by iScan Group will be a huge benefit. And I would, I would say that uh, as far as parting thoughts, I would first stress just the flexibility of the, of the methodology. Don't get caught up in the, the name wargaming. You can also call it tabletop exercises or strategy gaming or policy gaming. Um, but the idea that you use this methodology to help inform your decision making is, is really important and, and even just at the commercial level I, I can tell you that in the 25 years that I've been doing wargaming I've done a lot of commercial games and they're not all a lot of them have been focused on crisis scenarios sure that's one very very important application but I've also run games that allow organizations to better understand new markets that they're trying to get into so if you want to go from being a company that just provides to the private sector to provide providing to the government understanding that market and playing out how your processes uh, interact with that market is really important. I've seen that be very, very helpful. Um, understanding how competitors are, are, are uh, behaving or might behave or what their strategies might be and how you should adjust your strategies to meet the challenge of competitors is another really important application of wargaming called red team gaming. It's, uh, but So there are lots of ways to employ uh, wargaming and scenario planning. And I think Clearly, the probably the most important right now is to understand how uh, what future disruptions might, might look like and how you can get ahead of them and manage them. It sounds like the main takeaway then is that preparation is key. Tate, Steph, thank you both so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you for listening to iScan in Conversation. If you want to know more about today's topic, check out iScanGroup.com. Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter and hit the subscribe button.